We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. I just want to say I got through in worship that I feel like people, we welcome people at start, but I want to say again, you're welcome here. You're welcome to this community. If you're watching online or you stepped into the room and you have the ability right now to be part of it, and that is your choice, you're welcome. Um, I have a, about a two-minute intro, and hopefully I have some slides. I've, I barely prepped Jared, so if it goes wrong, it's my fault. If you go to the second slide, I have some Bible passages on the screen. My hope is with some audience participation, we'll be able to read them out. So if you want to, in the next two minutes, find one of them, and hopefully one of you will read it out. Otherwise, we're gonna, just going to stand here. So as I said, my name is Danny. I grew up in Holland and Belgium. I moved to Northern Ireland when I was eight. I then moved to Loughborough in 2012. I've since made Loughborough my home. I know. Something we used to say, right? But not anymore. I was able to do my degree here, my PhD here. I got married here. I've played with some robots. I've met some amazing people and some more amazing youth, I'm afraid. They are more amazing. And I now work for a small engineering consultancy firm just outside of Loughborough. So to make Loughborough my home, it really is. I don't know where else to go in England because it's the only place I ever came. However, today is about the topic space at the table and about hospitality. I just want to say, although Ali did mention that I live it out, I want to say I'm no expert in it. But as any good researcher, I know the answer is simply out there in a well-reviewed, peer-reviewed research paper. So as someone who hates academia and left it, I went straight to YouTube. And on that note, John Mark Homer does a great three-minute talk, so if you get bored, just watch his. So this talk is really not from an expert point of view, but rather a journey that I've went on the last couple of months. And you might have seen we've changed as a couple slightly on wanting to host more. And that is intentional, not just for this talk. My hope is together we can learn a little bit more about biblical hospitality and how we can reflect the Father's open hands that Rachel described just a couple of weeks ago. Because we are called to be compassionate, just like the Father is compassionate. So my talk is in two sections, and at this point I hope someone has got up the Bible passages. My first bit is on the why, and the second bit is on the practical. Within the church, your disciple, your discipler, your small group, to the community around us and to our neighbors. But the important thing that I'm trying to get across is that we are called to people. Put simply, we should practice hospitality because Jesus did it and the Bible instructs us to. However, if you take the Bible completely out of it, we can look at it from a psychological point of view. Social connection has been proven in science and it will make you a happier person. It will, in fact, make you live longer. So one journal says. So to use a Christianism, spending time with people is life-giving. Not just because it sparks joy in your body, but because it might actually make you live longer. And we see this in our society. Just look back at 2020 lockdown. We were locked inside. We were stripped away of the right to see other people. And we saw a spike of 3.7 million people who said that they felt lonely. We can also see it in the rise of social networks over the last 10 years, breeding the need for connection. However, that is definitely a topic for another day. In fact, the feeling we get, the feeling we get whenever we spend time with close friends and family is so prevalent that in Dutch, there's two kind of words for it. If we look at the word for hospitality as gastvrijheid, that means guest freedom. And that's something we don't really get when we talk about hospitality in English. Another word which doesn't translate at all is gezellig, 
Anyone speak Dutch? Out of curiosity. The odds are incredibly low. Yeah, it's worth a try. Gezellig means the joy or coziness you feel when you spend time with close friends and family. However, I do want to take a step back at this point. Because although I might have looked down, I do know that the introverts are giving me the eyes. I will say this, as a community, we need to acknowledge that for some people this is incredibly hard. It can be incredibly tiring to open up our homes daily, weekly, or monthly. But as John Mark Comer said in that great three-minute talk I mentioned earlier, I would recommend, we need to recapture this idea of hospitality as something at the core of our Christian identity. It's not something just for the extroverted people with nice homes. And finally, to finish off the why, Colin Smith from the Open Bible says it quite well. Personal gain is not our main motivation to show hospitality, but hospitality does have a good result in the lives of those who practice it. We can approach hospitality with joy, knowing that it is much a blessing for us, as it is, or blessing to offer hospitality as it is to receive it. So before I continue on with the practical side, I want to turn to the person next to you or the person behind you and ask yourselves, what does hospitality mean to you? What does it look like to you? And maybe give an example of a, a shared time of good hospitality. When I was prepping this talk, uh, the same book would be mentioned over and over again. And in fact, on Friday, when I was talking to one of my colleagues, who's also a Christian, I mentioned I was doing a talk on hospitality and uh, having space at your table. And he said, oh, have you read the book? And I was like, is it this book? And he said, yes. I'm like, excellent, we're on the same page. The book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it's by Rosaria Butterfield. If you want to meet someone that was before a Christian, that was so against Christianity before she became a Christian, you should read her story. And in fact, let me quickly turn to a page where she describes herself before being changed by radical, ordinary hospitality. To her, Christians seemed like small-minded, uncharitable, immoral bunch. They ate meat, believed in corporal punishment, violated human and environmental rights at a fever-pitched rate, and denied uh, women's right to choose and believed the whole world should fall under the totalitarian obedience of the Bible. You can't write that, right? That is, if you could be any more against Christianity, that's probably what you would write. She published a, a, a journal, effectively, to the words of that effect, and she was invited over by a pastor to his house, not to try and change her mind, but to understand her life. And in return, she could understand a little bit more about his. He, wasn't, he didn't come with a secret ag agenda. He was just trying to be kind. And over months and weeks, I can imagine, where she was invited around weekly or monthly or daily to have dinner with him and his wife, her perspective changed. Changed so much that she became, well, a novelist about hospitality, Christian biblical hospitality. This woman has transformed lives of hundreds, if not thousands, of people in her people in her community. So if you think you do hospitality well, I dare you to read this book because it will challenge you and it's challenged me. So if you want to read it, this one is going to a good home. It's here. So when I'm done, take it. But it does come with a warning. It will change your life, but it will change it for the better. But I don't think we're all there yet. This woman gives away her spare room to families who need it, 
She's giving away her car. She gets up at 5 a.m. to make meals for people that she knows they might never arrive, but she knows if they do arrive, they'll need food. This is someone who lives and breathes hospitality, and under no illusion do I think I'm there. But as any new habit, hospitality requires training, requires practice, as John knows. Yeah. Practice, to do anything well. So I've got some practical pieces of advice to hopefully make making space at your table easier. There's five. The first is start with your own community. This is probably the easiest and most practical piece of advice, and it's to invest in your own community. Because hospitality is tiring. I knew from, I had a birthday party on Friday, on Saturday I slept the whole day. <laughs> Investing in people is tiring. You cannot and two, you cannot practice Christian hospitality like God, and God made us for community. So if you're not in a small group, now is the time to join one. Just because it's summer doesn't mean small groups stop. My second thing that I've learned on this journey is it's not about what you own. This may sound counterintuitive, but you don't need a table to have space at it. And by that I mean you don't need to own a house, you don't need to own a garden. Your house doesn't have to be tidy or clean because Queen's Park is always tidy and clean. What I want to be clear of is possessions don't make you a hospitable person. Stuff doesn't bring the presence of God doing life together as brothers and sisters does. Let me remind you that this talk is called space. This talk is about space for people, not for the table itself. We've heard in nearly every talk of this series that Jesus constantly and consistently invited himself over within the book of Luke. The irony is this, that Jesus, the carpenter, was the only one, was the one who invited the sick, the lonely, the lowest of the low of society, to every table imaginable. And as far as I can tell, the carpenter never owned a table. And with that, you can practice being hospitable at someone else's table. So when you go around to someone's house, who are you talking to? Are you talking to the people you know or the people at the back? Remember, Jesus constantly used what he had around him to fill a need, first by turning water into wine, an admirable choice in my opinion. He fed the 5,000 just using a few loaves and fish. He prompted a tax collector to give back more than he stole after inviting himself to that tax collector's table. Effectively, like the pastor, he invited people in to make space for people to allow them to change. God changes people. We just need to make the space. So I would start this challenge by thinking of the things that you own that you could be sharing with your community. Think of the things you might be taking for granted that you didn't always have, but now you do. I can tell you two kind of tidbits. The first is... During the heat wave of lockdown, Bethany and I lived in a two-bed flat. And everyone knew we lived in a two-bed flat, but didn't make the connection that that comes with no garden. <laughs> and flat windows only open so wide. So whenever someone invited us round with a garden, we were excited to sit outside. Another example is at some point, we were able to offer our sofa and kitchen to some friends who were doing a house renovation, and at that time didn't know either of those things, and allowed them to feel like they were at home. In these situations, we cannot be repaid, and that's kind of the point. You're giving from what you have available and not and around you. So think of what, what you have, but be careful, because I warn you again, because like Rosary Butterfield, you might end up giving away your car. 
and not realize. My third piece of advice is make sp making space at your table does not require a big event. Make it simple. There is a difference between entertainment and hospitality. Mark Comer says a great line allows us to test whether we're making space for an event or practicing biblical hospitality. He says entertainment is a performance. There is a clear distinction between host and guest, but hospitality blurs that line and is an open invitation. With the pressure of throwing a Gatsby-esque party over, we can start to have fun with hospitality and making space at our table. You can start to think out of the box, Maybe invite some students who don't have a dining table, like you were saying. Allow them to maybe cook their dinner so they don't have to cook in what is a, arguably a questionable environmental hazard. <laughs> you can invite them to play some board games. I'm fine myself. You can open up your home as a place for people to come and worship and pray like Ros and Jack, Jack did just a few years ago of, with House of Prayer. John Mark Comer puts this again a great way. Great guy. You should really listen to this talk. There's no need to try and add hospitality to your already busy schedule. So try and work it into your existing one. He also points out you already eat three times per day, and that's 21 times per week. You simply have to open up the door. My fourth piece of advice, start where it's easy. Meet people where they are at and start where you are at. Regular, consistent hospitality is what we're aiming for. So don't start by throwing a huge church after party every week that you couldn't possibly sustain. <laughs> You're only human, and that's okay. On that note, though, we are throwing a church after party, so if anyone wants to come. <laughs> You're very welcome. No one's hosting next week, though, so uh, throw your hat in the ring. With that in mind, hospitality is for all people groups. So start where it's easy for you and build into the more difficult. Regularly invite people into your group to make connections. Make friendship groups and mix friendship groups until you can't tell them apart and meet people where they are at. If you're not good at inviting people and that scares you a bit, that's okay. Invite someone who is good at it. This is a team effort, not a single individual. It's not about who throws the best party. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, so make it easy for yourself. Introverts, Invite people who are good at meeting new people, but make it an intentional, make it a team activity. So as an example, if you've been around OH a while and see someone you don't recognize, go and go chat to them. They have made the brave choice to come here. They don't know anyone, potentially. The least we can do is introduce ourselves. Better yet, learn their name and be interested in their lives. Go out for coffee, go out for a drink, and invite them to your small group and just grow your community little by little. But whatever you do and whoever you invite, it's about building a lasting rhythm of hospitality, not a one-off event. So when the inevitable ups and downs of life come, they know who they can turn to. It's someone who regularly opened up their door to them. So where do you start? Start where it's easy. It's that simple. My last piece of advice, I know I'm running out of time, is... Open up your house or your home as widely and consistently as you dare. The fear of rejection or the fear of the unknown stops us opening up our home. Our home is our most valuable space. It's a space we've decorated, made our own, and in my case, as some beginner DIY, allowed me to visit the ER twice in two weeks or two months. It was good times.
Our home, in reality, sees the worst of us, the best of us. It sees every up and every down. It allows us to be angry, happy, sad, without any fear of the outside world judging us. It enables us to shut ourselves away, but it should also allow us to open ourselves up. Rosaria Butterfield puts it quite simply in her question is, do Christians practice Christian hospitality, hospitality regularly and consistently? Or do we think our homes are too precious for the criminals and put, them, put our homes in casts? Our homes are not our castles for which we can lift the moat and lock the gates. In reality, our homes aren't even ours. And this throws up the question of our homes, are our homes too good for the criminals, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, that, that's mentioned in Luke. Because it's fear that stops us opening up our homes. We can almost see our homes as our sacred place, our sanctuary. But in reality, like anything God has given us, it isn't our sanctuary because it's not even ours. It's God's. What would happen if we saw our home the same way we see money? If we tithed a portion of it every month? If we tithed a portion of our calendar every month to the community? What happens if we invite anyone and everyone round for a house of prayer like Ross and Jack did? God knows what you need just as much as he knows what the people visiting your home need, but they do require that invite. What if we got the purpose of our house wrong? If it wasn't even built for us, but as a gift to others? And what if the Spanish are right? I don't speak Spanish, so apologies. What if mi casa es su casa? What if my house is really your house? So to conclude, Opening up your table requires a strong community foundation. And like Jesus does not require you to own a table or even a house. It also doesn't require Leonardo DiCaprio to throw a big party. But it does require our time and discipline. It requires consistent routine, not a throwaway comment of come round any time, because the reality is, is that actually an invite? Or are you just being kind? Be specific with your invites then, and be prepared to be disappointed if no one shows up. We can show hospitality to anyone around us, our community, strangers, people in need, or the person sitting right next to you. I will say this, could, this will be sacrificial. Rosary Butterfield talks about all the time of the stuff they weren't able to do by showing this radical, ordinary hospitality. Opening up your table will require you to give time and effort and I would question if every weekend and evening of your calendar is full, then has your busyness become more important than your community? But if you're confident it hasn't and your calendar is up to date, then we go back to John Mark Comer. Because he said you had 21 times a week to invite people in. So my five points were start with community. It's not what you have. Keep it simple. Start where it's easy. Open up as wide as you dare. But if I have to pick one to, for you to take away, it'd be to start where it's easy. Dr. Butterfield suggests to start at the end of your drive by inviting your neighbors. But if you don't own a drive, maybe you have a WhatsApp group that's left over from that lockdown where we all joined as a community. Maybe offer regular meals to those neighbors, regular times to chat, regular coffee, tea, Start with maybe your friends who live by themselves or live in a small two-bed flat and don't have a garden. Start with anyone you feel is right, but the key is be consistent and be regular. 
because we should be keen to start where it's easy, but not be content to settle there.